Thank you guys, welcome, welcome to Probably Science. Thank you for joining us. I'm Matt Kirshen. I'm Andy Wood. Um, I had, I forgotten that before you guys came in, I just left all my shit on the table here, including my wallet. Uh, <laughs> so thank you for your honesty, guys. I, well, I haven't actually checked inside yet, but I'm just going to assume. I don't want it to ruin this show. I don't want to. I don't want like the entire time we're on here to be me looking for my credit card and accusing you guys, so I'm going to look at it at the end and hope that it's all... He's so British. He's so British. <laughs> He's the most British. Why are we sitting like oh, yeah, this? I don't Is know. Because well, we were going to put our guests between us okay, okay. because of our differences. <laughs> like, you know how Carson and Ed McMahon would start off 20 feet apart every show? Like, you can move. Like, couches and things. Whatever. All right, yeah. fine. No, no, it's Jesus. fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Now it's weird. Now it's. Now I have to pretend to yawn. And <laughs> should, should we just Lenny Mc, Lennon McCartney this? <laughs> My lips won't even move. Watch. This is like hey guys. Hey guys. Uh, like, yeah. Other things are moving. Yes, that's true. We just got back from Burning Man, so um, we did. Matt's first Burning Man. I right. finally got him. I finally got him up there. Was that? Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I know, it was fun. I enjoyed it. There's, there's no, no cynicism here. People were nice, and they did cool things, and I, I had fun. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, have we, I don't know if we've mentioned... Did we mention this on the last episode? Uh, someone who's a listener to the show put a massive plank of wood with our names on it, like, in the middle of the plier. Like, to six get, feet by To get our attention. Uh, like, to try and find us, because he didn't know where we were staying. But everyone who reported it back to us couldn't remember any other details. <laughs> so all we knew is that there was just... The, they, they kept going, like, are you doing a show or something? And we're like, no, what else did it say? They're like, I don't know. <laughs> Where is it? <laughs> so we desert. just looked like dicks for a week. Like, just a, like advertising us. I don't know. <laughs> but it was, it was very... Yeah, it was cool. We kept getting these weird little reports. Thanks, Snake Oil. Yes. Uh, um, so we have a third host, Jesse Case, and uh, listeners to the show know that he's back in Nashville getting treatment right now. Yeah, uh, basically, uh, Jesse's not even the original uh, third host. What happens is, statistically, uh, on this show, if you are the third host, uh, you either get Saturday Night Live or cancer. <laughs> and I was like, we shouldn't even try to get a third host, because like, no one's going to... I'm like, wait, any L.A. comic would take those odds. Like, <laughs> yeah, <you're> <laughs> Uh, so for Podfest, uh, 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 well, well, uh, Jesse is back. And by the way, listen to Jesse versus Cancer, amazing podcast. I yeah, know yeah. I have a. And pod- Jesse, either yesterday or today, is having uh, surgery, which is a good thing because the chemo made things operable. So we're all hoping for the best, and we'll uh, update uh, you guys on Twitter and things. But in the meantime, uh, we've got a special guest, third host, uh, rejoining us. The luckier third host of Probably Science. Please welcome Brooks Whelan. I'll move my shit. Really tight. We are tightly packed in. I don't know how. Um, we might even have to just shift along because I realise like we're gonna. The more people here, the more awkward it's gonna become. Hey, Brooks. Hey, how's it going? That, uh, that's my face, but uh, me and uh, Jesse look enough alike that they didn't change it. We never it. changed it. We never changed it. Yeah. 
So Brooks, I don't know if you guys, any of you who are new to the show might not know the premise of this, but uh, the three of us all have science and engineering backgrounds, and we're in comedy, so Matt was like, we should do a show where we get to talk about science, but still be funny, and uh, Brooks was a biomedical engineer before he yeah. became a comic. That and, was, uh, uh, yeah, I was, I was working in Irvine at a, at a cardiovascular mechanics company, making heart valves. Wait, I thought it was shooting lasers into eyes. That, I got fired from the heart valve company, and I went to eyes. <laughs> Would you like to share why you got yeah. heart fired from the Heartfelt Company? I mean, it's partially for spending most of my time G-chatting you guys about this idea. <laughs> <laughs> but mostly because I tweeted some uh, photos of my boss that were not great. Not, <laughs> not naked or anything. I just would tweet a photo over and be like, look at this monster. <laughs> was she opening the yeah, employee I, fridge? And yeah, you, and she you... was going, she was, I've told a joke, but I mean, yeah, it's, a, it's true though. She was opening up a refrigerator and I tweeted, um... I took a photo of it and I tweeted, looks like it's feeding time. <laughs> and, um, she, and she found it. She saw it. I didn't, I wasn't, she just like looked me up and was like, I wonder what Brooks does. I think he does comedy. And it was like, oh my God, <laughs> um, <laughs> I have to fire him. By the way, just, um, we, we were at the Los Angeles Podcast Festival and it is very much, like it, it's definitely a different audience you get to like a comedy show, like a hard stand-up audience. And I just got a little indicator of that. I don't know if you saw that, but one of our friends in the audience who's wearing a property science T-shirt saw that when I moved my chair to allow Brooks in, the leg was over the edge of the stage. Uh, a comedy audience <laughs> would have waited for the inevitable to happen, but this kind gentleman snuck up and pushed me back to safety. So, <laughs> That's so nice. Thank, I love it. That's thank incredible. You. That's crazy. Somebody, you're wearing a probably science shirt, man. I quit this podcast because I didn't think anybody listened to it. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, uh, I think it'd be cool before we bring up the last two guests um, to do a quick video to send to Jesse. Yeah, to... a few of us are sending videos to Jesse. So if you guys are, I don't know, I hadn't really thought this through. What we should say. So like everyone, if you just shout out your own personal message. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, on the count of three, uh, Daffodil T, and then get well soon, or is that too many things? That's, uh... No, that sounds perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right. One, One two, two, three. Daffodil T, get well soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's personalize it. It could have been for anybody. Thank you, guys. We'll send that to Jesse. Jesse, we're rooting for you, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. All right. Uh, shall, we, shall we bring out um, uh, the first of our special guests today? Yes. Um, I'm excited about this. I mean, you probably know him from his appearances on uh, Make Me Laugh or I Love the 80s. <laughs> and he's done a few other things since then. Uh, he's been in... Look, I don't, look, it's ridiculous even giving him a big introduction because he's the reason this room is full right now and deservedly so. We're so lucky to have him and so grateful. Please welcome the amazing Patton Oswald, ladies and gentlemen. Just get in there. Thank you for joining us, Pat. Thanks for having me, yeah. man. Uh, should we just get into it and ask yeah. the thing we ask all of our guests? Because I am curious what the answer would be to this. Yeah, we, we always, before we get into any stories or anything, or any fact, we like to ask our guests, what, if anything, is your background in science? And that could, that's ranged from 
a full degree to I dropped out of school but like blowing stuff up in the woods <laughs> to there was one class that I kind of enjoyed in high school or whatever. Like, what, what is your background? Uh, just basically college English major who took whatever the science minimums were that you had to <laughs> take. So there was, I know there was a... There was a class about weather that I took. <laughs> it really, literally, I, I studied. There was one about the weather that I was told would be easy, and then um, I and I I do a bit about it, but I really did take a class called Physics for Poets. <laughs> um, horrible, horrible. And then a, a geology class where we watched films about volcanoes. I don't. I have no idea about anything. Like how how technical was, was it? Like Joe versus, or were they more scientific? <laughs> Joe versus would have gone over our heads. It was they literally showed us films from the forties of you know, just terrible stock footage. It's just like you know. when God gets mad. It, yeah, it really was. I was the opposite. I took all engineering classes in the minimal English classes because I, oh. I couldn't write very well. I remember the first English class I took, I like wrote this paper and I was like, that's fucking perfect. And uh, I turned it in and it, I got like a, like a 30%. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's probably a curve, you know? And the average was 70%. Like, I did wow. so bad. At, God. Uh, the guy was like, you don't was know. Was there a specific engineering you were studying? I was, it was a biomedical engineer. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I went. It was like a freshman level English class, and I was a senior. And I went in. And I was like, "This will be the only class I fail," and I'm like a full <laughs> biomedical engineer. Wow! And the guy was like, "Oh, I'm sorry." And he did literally give me like a seventy. Well, that's that's because you, you're, you're a charming young. Well, man I think I think he's just like to... nobody cares. You yeah, care? Yeah, yeah. All right, I don't want to ruin your life. Yeah. So you, so what if he can't write? Maybe you'll cure cancer. Yeah, yeah you know. exactly. All and right. then you gave up curing cancer to write. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I got a writing job. <laughs> right now, cancer somewhere going, I win. <laughs> Again. What, school, what college did you go to? Uh, the College of William and Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia. Yeah. So. I've geeked there. It's very nice. Yeah, it was, it was really nice. They had an amazing uh, science and, and psychology department, but I was there. In my, it was... Hey, I read a lot of books, so I guess I'll do a thing where I read a lot of books and then write about the books I read. And then halfway through college, I realized I just want to tell dick jokes to drunk. I don't care about any of this. So I, then I had to extricate myself. So. All right, was there any pushback from parents about that? Well, the, the only pushback was if you just finish college and you can do whatever you want. So it was the, my last two years of college was this very elaborate kind of faking it because I knew that I just wanted to do stand-up, but it was... You know, your parents, they were nice to you, so just finish these last two years. <laughs> I, my last years of college, I don't think I spent a single weekend there. I would uh, go to classes all week, and then I'd get in my little Nissan Sentra and drive out and do gigs all weekend, and then come back Sunday night or early Monday morning just exhausted and going to class. And the vol- looks like Vulcan's having a fight with his wife because this <laughs> volcano sure is blowing its top. Like, <laughs> he's terrible. Awful. Did your college buddies know you had this secret side life, or was it like a thing that you were uh, donning the? No, I wasn't people? being secretive about it because I was trying to get. I was my my friends that were in frats. I was like, hey, if you need a comedian, I'll do it. You know, fifty bucks. <laughs> I was not being secretive about it, but I just wanted to, you know, get at it. It was just, it was it was almost like I was living that weird nightmare where you're you're back in high school. 
um, but you're very aware of your life you're living now, but for some reason you have to pass high school to get back to your life. <laughs> but you're like, I don't care, but why, I should just go back to my life. And like, you got to pass this, you know, this trigonometry class. It yeah. was, so that's what my last few years of college felt like. like I, I'm <laughs> opening for Bill Hicks this weekend. Yeah, but you got to give us 500 words on Sister Carrie. Like, I, <laughs> dude, I have that. gives a shit? Dude, I had that as of when I was a biomedical engineer for four years, like... Things were going. I was like, I gotta go do the Montreal Comedy Festival. I'm like, get your lab reports done. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, no, but that's the thing I love and have yeah. worked my life for. They're like, we don't give a fuck. Yeah. I-, I need a button for this fart joke. Yeah, yeah. yeah but you really, you need your. Oh uh, man. That's, yeah, yeah. I feel you're like right. We should bring out the academic yin to your yang in this yeah. case. Yeah, yeah. Right? And also, quite a neat link. Uh, you, uh, Patton, by the way, if you are not aware, recently wrote a book called Silver Screen Fiend. Uh, about you know your that's love. it. <laughs> How dare you? Uh, but are you are you someone for whom accuracy in like in films matters? Do you look at film and go like, like you were like a, that'll never happen or that's bullshit? Oh or you just fully no! I, w- look, when I'm watching a movie, if they have got if they because I know how hard it is to make a movie, right? So I'm more I'm always marveling at wow they convinced this many people to do this so when they like like in, in Fast and the Furious where he drives a car out of a building into another one that meant that a screenwriter had to write it and then get it by the producers and then they had to talk a stuntman into going you gotta make this look real and then talk well it, it was probably not hard to talk Vin Diesel under that but uh, like the but, but so the levels of I'm more amazed when they convince the consultants on the set just go can you just give us your Begrudging okay, <laughs> fine, uh, great, yeah. Drive the car and I'll figure it out, make it look okay. You know that to me, the the beaten down uh, set physicist, that to me is more of a miracle than the if they actually got the physics real. Well, um, please welcome that begrudging okay. There we go. <laughs> uh, uh, our, our final guest is, I think, I think I'm right in saying our most re-requested scientist. He came on the show a couple of years ago, and we've had so many messages since saying, please get him back. Uh, he's a theoretical cosmologist and author, and absolutely fantastic. Will you please welcome Dr. Sean Carroll? Thanks for joining us once again. Uh, I feel like I still haven't fully processed the last appearance you made on our show. I've listened back to it, and I still don't quite understand the things we were talking about. But uh, <laughs> How many of you guys heard that episode, out of curiosity? Show of hands, maybe. Oh, cool. Awesome. The people at the front. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> once you got here early. Um, yeah, which you've... I mean, like, we'll talk about your more serious work in a bit, but you have consulted on various films, right, Sean? I have, yes. Uh, which ones were you doing most that, recently? That scene in uh, Thor where Natalie Portman mentions the Einstein-Rosen bridge. That was totally my fault. <laughs> <laughs> oh because, my because Kevin Feige, the president of Marvel, said, you know, what is this thing that gets Thor from Asgard? And I said, it's a wormhole. And he said, we can't call it a wormhole. That sounds too 90s. <laughs> that, that, well, but, Wait, science sounds too nineties. Yeah, you know, accurate science. What it is? Sorry. So, you're, so in his mind, someone was going to say wormhole, and the audience was going to go nineteen ninety six called, <laughs> and they want their theoretical <laughs> transport uh, back. Cowabunga, dude. Yeah. <laughs> uh, n- not my Thor. Okay, <laughs> let's keep it a little fucking believable. 
So I said you could call it an Einstein Rosen Bridge. That's it sounds pretty thirties, but no one cares about that. Thirties yeah. <laughs> uh, is in, dude. So in the movie, Natalie Portman calls it an Einstein Rosen Bridge, and Kat Dennings goes like, "What the hell is that?" And Stellan Skarsgård goes, "It's a wormhole." So <laughs> <laughs> everyone gets it in the end. That's why <laughs> science consulting is needed. <laughs> so in their consulting, you also sometimes help people just retain consistency in, their, in the universe they create, right? Even if it's not true to the real world? Or? I would like to think that. Yes. Okay. Because I care about that as a movie fan. Like, I don't care if, if it has fantastical elements, but I want it to be consistent once they've set up their rules. Yeah, I mean, if you're, look, if you're being the science consultant on Thor, yeah. your, your <laughs> primary goal is not to make it consistent with the laws of physics, but it has to be consistent with itself, and I think that right. makes it not only a happier physicist, but a better movie. Yeah. Do you care about that kind of stuff, Patton? Like, as long as the setup is weird, then the rest has to be... I, you know, for me, as long as it sounds good, that's because I'm, again, I'm, I, this is, I'm into language, and you can make something, like, nonsensical sound cool. Oh, yeah. You know, like, uh, if, if you talk about um, uh, spooky action at a distance, even though that was a, a quote from Einstein, which is theoretically sound, it sounds stupid. But if you um, lit- literally make up something like, well, you know, the... Uh, the, the the Bechtold effect. You know what I mean? Like, what? I, I, I remember I was writing a paper for my high school civics class. This is kind of a confession, I guess, because the teacher was really nice, but I was really rushed, and I couldn't... So I had to, like, cite different Supreme Court cases when I'm talking about this one theory, and I just started making shit up. And so... And I remember this very specific... I was listening to R.E.M.'s Life's Rich Pageant, and I cited... Stipe versus Buck <laughs> as a Supreme Court case. He didn't catch me on it because they don't... Well, actually, what I wanted to ask you, have you ever just made up shit knowing they don't have the time to go check? Because they've hired you, so you just go... Uh, like. Also, in, in a physics paper, I, I cited the Spates catalog, which is what Dan Aykroyd mentions in Ghostbusters. <laughs> and I got away with it. So have you ever done shit like that? Just to, to, to you and your friends quietly hop out and go, we got it through. Nice. That is the job. That is <laughs> oh, okay, you okay, cool, cool, cool. All right, got it. All right. They don't want to know the actual physics. Oh, good. Not, okay, but, okay. Know, Make it sound all right. Yeah. Uh, what, do you th- what do you guys think about how, like... Um, I don't know if you talked about it on the podcast before, but uh, the Jurassic World, like Jurassic Park, the first one, like that's how they thought dinosaurs looked like. Like it was like in you know ninety three, they're like that's how we think. But now they know they had like feathers and shit, but they still don't put it in the movie. Wait, that all of them have feathers? Well, they think they I mean they look di- they like they just didn't follow science in the last one. They which were very is, colorful. A lot of them did have feathers. Yeah, they yeah. kept it consistent with the first look, the look of the yeah, first yeah. movies, rather than yeah. And then the, you know what? Can I can I just go again? For it. Doesn't look cool. You're right. if, if, if they were scientific accurate, people would go, this looks like a Dr. Seuss movie. Like, <laughs> it just wouldn't be scary. Yeah, I think it would be awesome. <laughs> More colorful dinosaurs? Feathered yeah, they, dinosaurs. I mean, they actually do look cool. You've seen these pictures that people uh, have sort of reconstructed them. Look, dinosaurs didn't 100% die out. They're still around. They're, they're falcons. They're, you know, they're mean things. Birds are the descendants of dinosaurs. I did, I did not need to know that. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, this podcast is over. We are getting the fuck out of here. Everybody into Macy's. Holy shit. <laughs> it's the only place to be safe. Now, you know what? I see Colonel Sanders as a goddamn hero. <laughs> he has been trying to protect us. You know what? And I'm, and I'm sorry, to, sorry to my gay friends. Thank you, Chick-fil-A, for keeping us safe. 
I think chick. I think the, your gay friends have got rid of a lot of feathered creatures. <laughs> <laughs> and some of them have become them. Hello, Fresco. Sorry. <laughs> um, Sean, we've had uh, over the last year numerous stories come up, and people keep sending us the story. And I, I we haven't had a chance to ask you about this yet. There is an engine, like a rocket engine that some department of NASA is somehow involved in, and it appears to defy the laws of physics, and it, it has no propellant, and it works up supposedly through quantum means, and we don't understand it, and no one seems to understand it, and you're a quantum physicist, so can you please tell us whether it's real or bullshit? It's <laughs> bullshit. Uh, 100% unreconstructed bullshit. So Is this yeah, like that cold sorry. fusion hoax? There's actually the, two of them. It's interesting. There's like two mixed up things. There's one which is a proposed to be warp drive. And this is actually the more respectable one because there are, you can sort of be a theoretical physicist like me. You can write down equations that look like a warp drive, something moving faster than the speed of light. You can't make it because we have no idea how to do any of the things involved. But there's some engineers that say, well, we're going to, you know, we're going to have gumption. So we're going to make it. So that's bullshit. There's the even worse one. <laughs> Which is a propellantless drive. This is the one that we keep getting sent in, I think. And, and yes. so NASA so microwaves, right. or they say something like, like right. that. Right. It's like the theory behind this is that you sit in your car and get it moving by pushing on the steering wheel really hard. Oh. <laughs> That's not how science like, works. Is, That's not how the is, world happens. Nothing is no. thrown out behind you. Propellantless. Exactly. Go are they just saying right. you have to believe hard enough <laughs> that you want to go where you want to go? <laughs> That's why it doesn't work when there are scientists around, because they harsh the mellow of the little fairies that are pushing it in that direction. So so why is... Because this is, like... This isn't some guy called Dave who's done it in a shed. Like, this is some some. This is a guy named Harold who's done it in a shed, but he's employed by NASA. That's the problem. Right. So so how have NASA scientists ended up with this thing? Because there was something where they, they, they generated some thrust or they detected some forward motion... So what's the bullshit that's happened there? Or? They have not detected anything at all. Okay, they cool. have done sort of not very good experiments and found <laughs> noisy results. Like, literally, they will write a paper saying, yes, we found thrust in this direction, and we found the same thrust whether it was plugged in or not, but we still think <laughs> that there's something promising going on. <laughs> Wasn't there but, some... But, it's, but the interesting thing is people want to believe. You know, like, I have never gotten as much crap on the internet, and I've gotten a lot of crap on the internet, but when you say that warp drive isn't possible, you're like, oh, you're the hidebound establishment they warned me about, man. <laughs> like, no, I'm someone who believes in Newton's laws of motion, and, you know, that's, if you, you know, they could be wrong. It could always be that you do an experiment, and the laws of physics, as you know them, are wrong, but... In order for you to believe that experiment, it has to be absolutely amazingly incontrovertible, right? You're overthrowing the laws of physics. The probable explanation for all of these crazy effects is experimental error. Sorry. (laughs) So we have no hope for anything that's going to be a huge leap forward in propulsion in space because we're always limited by having to throw something behind you to go the other way. That's right. But... You, but this is why human beings are not that imaginative. They're like, we really want to go faster than the speed of light because it will take hundreds or thousands of years to get to the stars at sort of conventional propulsion. Mm-hmm. What they're not thinking is that it's much easier to make human beings live for hundreds or thousands of years than it is to go faster than the speed of light. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. um, That's what to get excited about. I once met the Senegenics guy who advertises in airplane uh, magazines, and I think he's working on something. Have you seen like... <laughs> 
There's like if you ever pick up a magazine from like a plane, there's always an advert for a weird old the guy. Planes wrote it. Uh, yeah, the airplane wrote the magazine. That's okay. exactly how <laughs> journalism works. Oh, is this and, uh, the weird? Yeah, the, the the ripped body with the old man head That's on it. That's exactly who that is. Oh, creepiest shit. You've oh, it's ever. so weird. Yeah. But, look, instead of working on finding the cure for keeping your body, but first find the cure for old man head. <laughs> to get rid of that shit because it doesn't matter what it's attached to you have to look at that while you're fucking it and it's just gonna be like I I don't know maybe he's investing in masks (laughs) Uh, yeah I met him on a daytime TV show uh, it's, it's that's nothing... the kind of level of showbiz I'm at. <laughs> wow. <laughs> there's nothing weirder than a very strong old man. Like yeah, a guy that's... who still goes to the gym Nobody at 80. Nobody likes that. Yeah. <laughs> no. Like by the time you're 80, you think you'd realize, like, oh, it's not important. Uh, yeah. But that guy you can never actually... figured it out. Well, though, I mean, that one of the problems, though, is that, yeah, you, we can live longer. So it used to be when you hit your late 40s or your 50s, people were okay with you going, I'm just going to sit down with my coffee in the paper. <laughs> and now when you turn that age, you're like, here's your mountain bike. Get out there, man. You're like, oh, man, how? I did that for three decades. Let me just sit down. And they got these assholes yeah, doing rips and they're into their 80s. Yeah. People are like, well, check him out. I'm like, I don't want to. I don't care. I'm an old man. Can't I just be lazy and racist? Yeah, let me just sit down and annoy people. And Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's the benefits of growing old and dying is you can say awful things. People go, well, he's old. What are you going to do? He just sees an old asshole. Like, I've been know. waiting 50 years to say this. <laughs> he actually, yeah. He actually has been wronged by a lot of Puerto Ricans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So he gets to say that. Yeah. It's based on yeah, exactly. fact for him. <laughs> well, speaking of aging, Dr. Kelly, you have a book uh, about the fact that we all take for granted that you're young, then you're old, and then you die, and it goes in that order. Um, but that's sort of arbitrary, or maybe it isn't, right? Uh, I'm trying to get into the arrow of time. Arrow uh, help of time. me out. Yeah. Save well, me. Okay. It's, you know, as you say, we, we are all born young, Benjamin Button notwithstanding. We're born young, we grow older, we die. We remember what happened yesterday. We don't remember what happened tomorrow. I hope no one in the room remembers what happened tomorrow, or you can make a lot more money than yeah. sitting here in this audience. <laughs> and this is, you know, it just seems so naturally ingrained in how the world works, that there's a past, a present, and a future. But then you look at the laws of physics, as best we know them right now, and they don't distinguish between past, present, and future. They treat the past and the future equally well, exactly equivalently. So it's a mystery why in our actual world the past is so different from the future, or at least it's something to be explained. And the explanation has to do with entropy and the universe winding down, and it all goes back 14 billion years ago to the Big Bang. Makes total sense. I can keep going. <laughs> yes, I mean, this yes, is not please. Where... We have the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you all know that uh, you can take an egg. You can break the egg. You can scramble the egg. That's easy to do. You cannot unscramble the egg. This is well known. You can mix cream into your coffee. You cannot unmix it. Things tend to become more disorganized, more disorderly over time. Why? Because at the Big Bang 14 billion years ago, the universe started out really, really, really organized. Why? Nobody knows. If anyone tells you they know that, they're just sort of selling you their books. So instead, buy my book on Amazon. <laughs> it will explain that nobody knows why. But it's, that, it's the initial conditions of the universe near the Big Bang that set things up in a very, very organized, what we call a low entropy form. The entropy, the disorderliness of the universe that is 
manifested every time you mix cream into coffee or shuffle cards or anything like that. It's all the universe winding down since the Big Bang. And you remember the past because that low entropy boundary condition 14 billion years ago, you don't remember the future. The idea that you have free will, that you can make choices what to do next, but you can't make a choice right now what to have done back at that embarrassing time at the senior prom. That's all because of how things were set up when the universe started. And the but, but couldn't someone argue like what you're talking about right now is, yeah, things uh, maybe aren't uh, organized to disorganize on this giant macro universal level, but on our level, which compared to the universe is micro, our lives are, you know, the era of time. What I'm, what I'm basically saying is what you're saying right now about aging, it are, is, would, would there be a biologist equivalent of you that would say, okay, I know that you're, you know, thinking of all these things, but I know how biology, just like you were saying about physics, about going right. faster than the speed of light, is, is there... Would there be that pushback, or, or is there... So you're trying to tie biology into quantum physics? It is, yeah, it, but, it's all, but it's all mixed together because it depends on what part of the universe you're looking at. You can take a deck of cards and put them in order. That's okay. You're allowed to do that. But it won't happen by itself, right? You need to sort of have some part of the outside universe come in. You can clean your room kids, uh, your room will naturally become messy over time, and that is, in fact, the working out of a fundamental law of physics, but your room is not alone in the universe. If it were alone in the universe, it would only ever become messier. But since it's not, individual parts of the universe can become neater over time. But while you do that, while you are cleaning your room, you're making the universe messier. I don't know if that's any help when you're negotiating with your parents, but overall, the universe is becoming messier. So that, that is a law of physics. So that's the sort of counter-argument to when creationists miscite entropy to kind of go like, ah, evolution couldn't happen because things have a tendency to get more disorganized. The argument, well, there's outside influences. It's not a closed system. Right. It's actually better than that. I'm sorry to be laying so much science down here. We're supposed to be having fun. But no, that's what we want to have. Think about mixing the cream into the coffee, okay? You increase the messiness of the universe. When the cream and the coffee are separate, it's very organized. When you mix them together, they're very disorganized. But in both cases, it's simple, right? The universe, the, the cream and the coffee are very simple ahead of time. They're very simple after you've all mixed them up. It's in between. When your spoon is moving in there and you see the swirls of the cream mixing into the coffee, that's when it's complicated and interesting. The universe is exactly the same way. The universe was very, very simple, but very, very organized when it started. In the future, all the stars will burn out, everything will fall into black holes, the black holes will evaporate, the universe will be very, very messy, but also simple once again. It's now in between, in the middle, when things that are interesting, like stars and galaxies and biospheres and podcasts, can occur. <laughs> so it is not just that the laws of physics, the second law of thermodynamics, the increase of entropy, allows for organized structures like us here on Earth. We are here on Earth as organized communicating structures because of the general tendency of the universe to grow more disorganized. We are a spin-off. We are a side effect of the fact that the overall tendency of the universe is to grow more and more messy. But, uh, but from our point of view, though, you know, we, we see – I'm talking to you right now. We're talking to, to the audience. But we're – so we're sort of – in the middle of a gigantic slow motion explosion that we can't see. We're, we're just shrapnel yes. that is living under the illusion and the delusion that I'm this sentient thinking being, but right. I, all I am is 
star matter momentarily accidentally organized into this thing, and then it'll eventually zip apart again. That's right. If you go back to sort of the ancient cosmologies, you know, what, what did human beings first think when they looked at the universe and they looked at their own place in the universe? They looked at themselves and they were like, we're pretty awesome, right? I mean, you know, look at us. And every map of the cosmos created in ancient times put human beings at the center, you know, somehow some special place. And that has been so wrong over and over again. We're not the center of the solar system. The sun is not at the center of our galaxy. The galaxy is not at the center of our universe. We might not be the only universe over um, and over if, again. If Kanye West is listening, you might want to forward this part. Right now. <laughs> Just forward like 10 minutes. You might want to listen. This might be a little triggering. All right. <laughs> He actually and, is a huge supporter of Probably Science. <laughs> was. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Is it like, is it, if you listen to the lyrics, it's in there. <laughs> and I think it's okay. I think that, you know, understanding that human life is finite, even, you know, we will, a thousand years from now, human beings will have indefinite lifespans. You know, we won't need to die. Right now, we can take an individual cell that has grown old and feeble, and we can reverse age it. We can make it back into a single young stem cell. How long will it take to do that for whole bunny rabbits and human beings? Longer than you will be alive, but if any of you guys have grandkids, we don't know. But if you wait billions of years, they'll die. Sorry. So there is only a finite amount of lifetime that any of us has in the universe. For most of us, it's 100 years or so or less. Maybe it could be much longer than that, but it's still finite. That's what physics says. And I think that that's you know, a, a cosmic perspective, but also enormously important to our everyday lives. It's, it's, we don't have an infinite amount of time to screw things up or to mess around. You know, like We have a finite number. Every human being is granted roughly three billion heartbeats. Use them wisely. I haven't heard that you, have, that you, have this, that you believe that we're that close to people living forever. Yeah, that, I, I, that's just I, a technology I, problem. The speed of light is real, man. But like living, yeah, you can live for a long time. But, but wouldn't, wouldn't thousand-year lifespans also demand a massive culling of the population in order to sustain life on the planet? And you can't have people living and using resources that long. It's only, in other words, by the time we get to that, that span and that technology, there will have been some pretty crazy shifts in what we now... Uh, take for granted in, as far as morality, in, in, as, yeah. as far as like. I think the amusing people will be all let life. To live. Will, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just saying if when we get thousand plus lifespans, the idea of all life being precious will be long gone. It'll it's be out of necessity. Yeah. We, we, we do a terrible job in imagining the future. I mean, I love science fiction. It's, it's great. But we always take exactly the situations we have now and we put them on a spaceship, right? <laughs> and that is not how the future Goodbye. will be. <laughs> Let's talk about war. I like how you again. came back to knock the mic down. <laughs> you left and then he was like, one second. <laughs> not have the original Battlestar Galactica made fun of on this podcast. Man, breaking hearts right and left yeah, here today. Yeah, yeah. It's a tough episode. Well, you know, okay, I, this is, um, I, I wrote it years ago, I adapted a, a short story uh, to a screenplay. It was set in, the, in, the, in a dystopian future. So I was, I was uh, researching, I talked to a couple of futurists about world building. and t- I wanted to make it seem realistic without 
having any voiceover narration and, and just kind of getting it. And he said something really interesting, which was, he goes, I'm so sick of dystopian futures. If you're living in the future, you don't see it as a dystopia. You just see it as this is the only thing you've ever known. And he, he said someone from 1915 would look at how we're living and go, what a dystopia they live in. That's awful. There's diseases that kill you when you have sex. There's nuclear weapons. There's this horrible pollution. And we would look back at 1915 and go, "That's look at how women are being treated. Look at how, you know. So he goes, get get rid of the idea of people living in this desperate dystopia. And he goes, it would be more horrifying for an audience to just make this dystopian future, but the people that live in it don't treat it as a dystopia. Yeah, in fact, that was really interesting to me. I, I think that the chances of a dystopia are actually pretty tiny. I mean, I think that life is getting better. I don't. I think that those people from 1915 are just wrong. It's like way better. <laughs> no, no, to but live now. from his, from their viewpoint. Yeah. But by the way, their I'm viewpoint a, I'm is a, wrong. I'm a huge believer in the idea of a golden age is complete horseshit. The whole, the whole uh, phrase, the golden age. I think that was Horace or something. He's a Greek. Yeah, one of those. Was from like eight. Right. 800 BC, even he was looking back going, oh, there's this, life sucks now. There was this better time. So the, the idea of life sucked in 2014 compared to yeah. now. So, you know, right. the, people, anytime that people go, we have to go back to just go, ah, right there, you're wrong. You're wrong. The, there, there is no better time than right fucking now. Life, life on Earth has been around for several billion years, and humanity's been around for a few hundred thousand years, and we've been doing science well for about 500 years. Like, we're at yeah. the beginning of all these changes. We, we have not seen anything yet. Yeah, but hate Ashbury 1967, you guys. Come on. <laughs> I'm just saying. At the peak, it's been all downhill. The smell alone. <laughs> The smell alone, uh, weird drum circles breaking out for no reason. And by the way, yeah, hate Ashbury 967. You know who's hanging out? Charles Manson was, <laughs> literally was pimping hippie chicks. It was a nightmare. It was awful. Fair enough, fair enough. Rescinded. Yeah. I'll take Horrible. it back. Okay. Yeah, but if you just walk by, you'd be like, pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to live there. Yeah, you're visiting Hey, do Iowa. you, um, uh, there's this famous quote by uh, Isaac Asimov about, um, he said, there's only three science fiction plots which is what if, if only, and if this goes on. And everything else is just a variation on those three. Would, do you agree with that? Like, e- even, in our, even in science itself, does science kind of spring off of those three ideas? Yeah, research? maybe. I mean, I, I, I'm always a little bit wary of these classification schemes because then someone's going to come up with something that doesn't quite fit, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, science is great because... It's really just trying to figure stuff out, you know? And, and if that stuff that you figure out ends up doing something useful, then that's a bonus. That's great. But we just really want to figure things out. When we discovered the Higgs boson, there's no, like, better Higgs boson iPhone on the horizon. That is not going to help. We just wanted to know that the bugger was there, and we are very happy that we found it. What's, what is- what's an if-only? What's an if-only movie? Well, the idea of, oh, if only we had... This to, well, I mean, okay, a great if only movie. Ray Bradbury argues this is uh, Singing in the Rain is a science fiction film because science fiction is all about 
Here is the state of grace we live in. Now some new technology shows up. How does it affect people? How does it change people's statuses? So if you watch Singing in the Rain, it opens up silent movies are king and this in people's faces make them stars and that's how things are. And then sound, because they were like, oh, if only there could be sound in films. Well, now there is sound in films. Now what happens? Well, this lead actress has a terrible singing voice and they don't, and so now everyone's status starts changing right. they all start scrambling who will survive how will things change when this new i mean look if you look back in the 70s uh like like a bill gate a teenage bill gates a loser this guy going <laughs> off programming yeah. this dude i'm 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 tri- i'm uh stripping out my camaro and uh, like i'm the alpha dog here and then in a generation it was all going to change and now the programmers were the alpha dog so you know that is that's an if only. And it's, it's very hard for science fiction writers to say this dramatic change is going to happen and as a result things will be better. Right? Yeah. They can always say, oh, everything will be terrible and it'll be a dystopia. But, you know, one of my favorite movies is The Man in the White Suit. Did you see this? Yes, Alec great Ealing comedy with Alec Guinness. That's another if only. That's another great if only movie. Yeah, he, Alec Guinness, the young, cute Alec Guinness, invents this beautiful white p- fabric that can't be destroyed. So you only need one it suit can't for be your stained. whole life. Can't be, can't be never stained, gets dirty, be never needs to be clean. Oh, Coles had one of those pants. I think, <laughs> you pour water on it and it didn't get wet. <laughs> But it doesn't turn out well for Alec Guinness in the movie. Let's no. just put it that way. Yeah, the the uh, a lot of a lot of big established industries. It basically it's a variation on the water engine. Yeah. Like if you you know the joke is, hey, I invented an engine that runs on water. Great, bang! Like you're immediately <laughs> the oil companies kill you. So, um, you talked about the end of the universe and like it'll happen, but I know there are lots of or there are conflicting theories as to how the universe will end. Is there a what is the prevalent scientific thought now, or is there not one? Like, is, is it going to be a... Is the universe going to collapse in on itself? Is it going to expand forever? Is it what, what is currently thought to be the case? Yeah, we think we at least have a reasonable guess now. Like, when I was your age, we didn't know. Like, the universe maybe could recollapse someday or could keep expanding. But then in 1998, we discovered the universe is not only expanding, but it's accelerating. It's expanding faster and faster. And, and we believe that's just going to keep happening. So it's not going to recollapse. Uh, the stars will burn out. The stars have a long way to go. They've been going around for about 10 billion years, and there's another quadrillion years in the future they'll keep burning. But eventually they'll stop burning, and it'll be all dark. But everything is still moving apart from everything else and getting scattered to the four winds. So eventually you just have empty, cold, desolate universe. And that's forever? So I thought the last time forever. we talked, I thought that the... I'm sorry. I'm just, I was imagining someone listening to this podcast on a treadmill in a gym, and he just said that, and there's are like, fuck it, man, just stop, goes to In-N-Out Burger. There's no point. I, what am I doing? I am just, I'm free. I can just eat myself to death. Uh, Screw yeah. it. That sounds great. Because he could, was could, planning could that for the next quadrillion yeah, yeah, years. Was. Just and, by the way, know. could that, like, nothingness forever, could that be described as dystopian? <laughs> There's nobody there to be sad. Oh, okay, I guess it's uh, still a well, good. I mean, if 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 the universe keeps going faster and faster, then will the atoms that make up uh, life as we know it, those if those keep exploding, will they then move into a different form? And you know, like solid life as we know it, will will have to change to a different form? Or there will, yeah, there won't be any life as we know it or otherwise. Because but, but all could those... there be consciousness? No. Because oh. all of those atoms, <laughs> sorry, that's good to have answers. I love how I was trying to hand you some hope. Could there yeah. be no? no. <laughs> all right, well, <laughs> wee. <laughs> <laughs>
It's like this the is, joke this about the, the you know, This is the poet and the physicist. It's the, yeah. What about hope? Fuck you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks. Yay. <laughs> I'm going to go pick daffodils. <laughs> they won't we're, be daffodils in a few years. We're literally talking about more than a quadrillion years in the future. Like, there's no hope past that? Like, <laughs> there's, there's plenty of room for hope between now and what, what, see, what season will the now? Simpsons be in at that point? <laughs> <laughs> Jump the shark I in the s- trillionth, I think. I yeah. say it's after like the seven trillionth season, it's just never been as good. Yeah. 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 Went down uh, season two trillion was great. They, they <laughs> that man, was... that's when they really when nailed Mo moved it. moved in. <laughs> <laughs> they brought it back for me. <laughs> <laughs> So we talked on the last uh, episode you were on about this thing called the Boltzmann's brain, a thought experiment that I right. thought was a way of disproving the, it, the, the fact that the universe could last forever. Because if it did, then these things would arise and we wouldn't know we're not one of them. That's Is right. That- so we, th- there's, there's issues with this idea that the universe lasts forever because what well, we don't know, you know there's, there's things we do know and things we don't. And we don't know anything about what will happen in the future of the universe. This is all like our best reasonable theory right now. So things are up in the air. But if it does become empty space and there's nothing there, it's as empty as empty can be, there's an open question about whether or not because of quantum mechanics, because of fluctuations in empty space, there can still be occasional very rare events where things just pop into existence. Like, oh, there's an atom. You know, oh, there's a virus. There's a planet, and there's life on it, and so forth. Uh, it would take very long time, but it could happen. Now? So you just, like, randomly it'll just appear? Yeah. That's insane. And then disappear within a second. There are equations behind this insanity, I'll yeah. have you know. <laughs> no, I know I'm saying, I know I'm saying that's pretty crazy. I, I read the other day that uh, the, the, our universe, like, if you looked at it from a vacuum point of view, like, it's a more perfect vacuum than anything we could create as people. Is that true? No. Yeah, it felt it felt too good to be true. I mean, <laughs> I was like, oh, stop crazy. reading uh, Us magazine, dude. <laughs> it's like a Better things out there for like you. Set your, aim, set your sights a little higher, man. <laughs> that on the I thought Gwyneth yeah. made some very good points. <laughs> <laughs> Miley Cyrus says, "You know, the you know, our universe is a better vacuum. <laughs> scientists can create." So, hey, I'm sorry. So, you guys, unfortunately. Patton has to take off. But let's hear it for Patton Oswald for being with us. So great to have you. But I'll I'll be back tonight on another podcast. He'll be on the dollop later on today. Guys, thank you. Thanks so much, Patton. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much to Patton Oswald. Amazing. Thank you. Let's get real, you guys. All right. right. Uh, So so the Boltzmann brain theory... I'm going to leave two now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's saying like this whole thing that we're currently experiencing could be one of those occurrences where something has. We're almost into certain existence. that our we are not Boltzmann brains. The, the, they're called Boltzmann brains because it was Boltzmann, an Austrian physicist, who first came up with the idea that out of random nothingness things can fluctuate into order if you wait long enough. And they're called Boltzmann brains because if you if you ask yourself what is the easiest way to get a living conscious creature in this universe that just has random fluctuations all the time. You don't need to first make 100 billion galaxies like we have in our universe. You don't even make one galaxy. You could just imagine making like one star and one planet. Then you go, well, who even needs the planet? Let's just fluctuate a person into existence. And then you say, well, but who even needs the person? Really, you just need to make like a bunch of atoms come in to make a brain that is conscious long enough to look around and go, huh, 
empty space, and then it dies. And the overwhelming majority of conscious creatures in this universe would be these sort of minimal brains that just came into existence and then died, and these are the Boltzmann brains. And we're not them. And so we, th this is a puzzle for cosmologists. Why aren't we? If, if most of the people in this universe would be like that, and we're not, probably this is not our universe. Probably this is not the universe we live in. So that's sort of a, a way ruling out certain cosmological scenarios. But you said we'd know that we're not. How do we know that, that outside of this room the world still exists and this didn't just fluctuate into existence right now? We don't know for sure. But it's no way to get through the day. <laughs> so we operate under the assumption that the Beverly Center is actually there. We can okay. get, get patent to text us now because he's outside. <laughs> how, do you, how do you, like, sleep at night? Like, you have so much brain. Like, you know so much. Like, I think of, my, I, I'm, I think of myself as like I'm, like, I'm pretty smart. That's why I have trouble falling asleep. I got too much going on up there. Uh, but I feel like a dumb idiot. And, and, so do you, like, sleep easily? Do you, can you just shut it down? You I play? sleep great. I know, but I'm like being for real. Like, can you just? Are you good at being like, ah, time to not think and go to bed? Or? <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, no, it's really hard because you know, like, I have to write books and things like that, yeah. and like, you know, you're thinking and like, oh, you know, chapter five doesn't fit there, and you know, what if uh, we don't fluctuate into existence, and what if there was another universe? Just you know, yeah. Okay. Hey, speaking it, it go like speaking that. of writing books, I know you you are in the middle of writing a new one that's coming out uh, very soon, and and you might want to read it, but you also might not want to read it with your eyes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> some of there might be some people who prefer to read their books through other senses such as hearing and there is, there is a way science has found a way <laughs> science has finally found a way to read books with other organs uh, they're really only focused on the two they really mostly focus on the eyes oh I guess hands as well for the blind people who don't like hearing <laughs> But they're the, they're, the th okay, they're the three main senses that people are using to read books now. Looking, hearing, and touching. But we're focusing on the hearing one, one at the moment. Hey, guys, did you know that there's a... <laughs> there's a service called audible.com who happen to be sponsoring this whole festival here? Oh, smooth. I, <laughs> did you guys even know I was going into a plug there, or was that just seamless? Did you... Thank you. Thank you so much. Do, uh, wait, does this podcast make you guys money now? Uh, what? Huh? Huh? What's Do it? you guys make money from this? I want some fucking money, if that's the case. <laughs> I started this. I want some fucking money. Can we get a kickback from SNL? Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'd like money from them, too, man. <laughs> uh, you, ca you can buy, uh, you can buy um, Sean's books on audible.com. You can get them through that. You can get a free trial out of Audible uh, by signing up and using the offer code. Hey everybody, Andy here. I've got a quick correction. The URL that you should actually use to sign up for Audible, get your free 30-day trial and a free audiobook download is audible.com slash LAPodfest. If you haven't already signed up with Audible, we would love it if you would do so now. It supports not only our podcast, but the entire Los Angeles Podcast Festival. And we want to thank Audible for being so gracious and being the presenting title sponsor of this year's festival. Without them, we couldn't have made this year so big and so fun. And speaking of the podcast festival, if you haven't already subscribed to the live video stream that we had going, you can still watch the video archives of all 30-plus shows that took place at the festival, including The Thrilling Adventure Hour, WTF with Mark Marin, Girl on Guy with Aisha Tyler, Spontanea Nation with Paul F. Tompkins, so many great, great shows. You can just visit LAPodFest.com and click on the link to access the video archive. 
It's $25, but it gets knocked down to $20 with the code SCIENCE. So check that out. It's available for another three weeks. And thanks so much for supporting the show. Now back to it. But if you, if you subscribe um, and uh, check around May of next year, you might see Sean's next book, which has the most uh, ambitious title I've ever seen, I think. The Big Picture on the Origins of Life, Meaning, and the Universe Itself is Whoa, the next book's there. title. Yeah. And Recipes. <laughs> I should put a recipe in there. Yeah. What are what are um, other people also bought? Go down to that. People on there. also bought. People well, also bought yet, so. like Led Zeppelin three. <laughs> three. Yeah, that was the weird one with three. the wheel that spun yeah. inside. That's a good one. Yeah, that one looks like one. space on the outside. It's a galaxy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, but for now, you can also check out his books, uh, "The Particle at the End of the Universe," which is about the Higgs boson and uh, boson. How do you say it? boson? Boson. Okay. And uh, from eternity to here, which is the one about the arrow of time that okay. we were discussing earlier. I want to get. So, how did you? Where did you grow up, Sean? How did you get into science? Outside Philadelphia, and I just got into it from reading books. They didn't have all this fancy Audible stuff when I was young. Yeah. So, yeah. books, eyes, reading. Yeah. Uh, where did you go to school? Where did you go to college? I was a Villanova University undergraduate. My freshman year, they won the basketball championship. What did, over the you get? Georgetown Hoyas. No, I don't care. Um, <laughs> what did you get your? What was your undergrad uh, degree in? Astronomy and astrophysics. Oh, cool. And then you went... And I went to Harvard for graduate school and have bounced around from different universities ever since. You That's think you're crazy. better than me? Sorry, I can't <laughs> not say that. Comes <laughs> uh, yeah, now you're at Caltech, right? Yeah. That's great. I mean, I don't know. I just, I'm interested in your background. I don't know, but you're, you're much better at uh, talking about science than you're like, yeah, I went to school and yeah, now I, I do science. <laughs> now I do science. I mean, other people listen, they probably want to get into this. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fuck me. <laughs> Uh, so what, what is the new book about? Because you're, you're going for... Did dinosaurs exist? <laughs> Let's get into it. Pretty sure they did, yeah. More dinosaurs than warp drives. The, the new book is just about the fact that all of us live in a world governed by the laws of nature, right? So if you want to understand, it's the stuff we've been talking about. Our place in the universe. It needs to be compatible with whatever a human being is, however people work, whatever it means to be a conscious, caring, good person. It's got to be compatible with the laws of physics. So you mentioned free will before. Do you, like, do you believe, is there true free will or, like, is there an argument that just because every atom is going to do a specific thing, then we don't truly have control over what can happen or what we can think? Yeah, we are not able to override the laws of physics in order to make choices. If you knew everything about the entire state of the universe and you had infinite calculational power, you could predict what will happen next. But we have neither of those things, so therefore we cannot predict what will happen next. So for all intents and purposes, you do have an ability to make choices in your life. But in reality, you don't. No, like it's effectively not, I, you do, I only talk about reality. Okay. You know? It's just different ways of talking about the universe. You can't sort of talk about, I want to do this, but my atoms won't let me. That's a <laughs> grammatical mistake. You, know, you are your atoms. When you talk about what you want to do and what choices you want to make, you're talking about yourself at a level of description that is just a different way of talking than talking about your atoms. So at that level of talking, in that vocabulary, in the theoretical view of the world where there are people with desires and so forth, those people make choices and you'll be held responsible for what you do. Yeah, but I don't think so. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't mean to yell that drunk right. last night. That wasn't me. <laughs> 
It was uh, just uh, your Adams. Yeah, that was Those just Adams, Adams talking. Yeah, you probably Adams. got some bad Adams last night. Yeah, yeah. My Adams went to the comedy store and made an asshole out of themselves <laughs> last night. <laughs> That's true. I, was, I never go to the comedy store. I got drunk. I found out about this podcast festival literally because Andy posted an Instagram photo of yes, a hotel. Right. And yeah. I go, hey, are you in L.A.? Do you have a pool at your hotel? <laughs> uh, and then me and my uh, fiance came over here and swam in the pool. And then Andy was like, you should do the podcast. I'm like, oh, I'm going to the comedy store. And, uh, and I made an asshole out of myself. Speaking of which, Brooks just got engaged, you guys. Oh, yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah right. My Adams got engaged. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want to. Uh, we should. I, th- I think we've got quite. A, we've got a bit of time left, and I think it'd be nice to throw to the audience because I don't know if you've ever wanted to ask uh, a cosmologist or three comedians sat next to a cosmologist <laughs> any specific question. But do we have any questions? Any burning questions? I have a question for the audience. How are those fucking nice ass chairs, guys? <laughs> Feels lick as shit. It's like a teenage girl's dress. Well, that was not how to say that. <laughs> A 19-year-old college girl. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, you know what I mean? It feels weird. It's like, scat <laughs> tight. Anyway, uh, my, my fiance is a 32-year-old woman, and, I, and we love, we love. <laughs> Uh Question at the back of the room first, and we'll, we'll have to repeat it back into the microphone afterwards, so apologies about the weird thing in the room. Um, hi, I'm Lee, and a question for the scientist. Uh, oh, hang on. Oh, there oh, is a microphone being passed over. Excellent. Cool. Hi, I'm Mindy, and uh, the question is, as a scientist and knowing about reality, are you able to enjoy science fiction novels at all? Yeah, very much. I think that, you know, uh, science fiction and science are different. I don't judge science fiction books by how accurate they are at predicting the future or something like that. I, you know, I judge every narrative or story on the basis of, is it a good story? Does it make sense? Is there sort of weird things pulled out of nowhere to rescue the hero for no good reason? That, there's no reason for that in science fiction or anywhere else. But if the rules of the world make sense and they're explained to you and you can follow what's going on, then they don't need to be the rules of our world. I think where the mistake is made in something like when you have, well, there's this stuff, and we'll call it red matter, and we know it's bad, and we won't tell you why it's bad, but trust us, it's really bad, and it's going to go boom, and we have to do something with it, and we won't tell you why. But, you know, as a scientist, I'm like, just, it can make sense. Just make a little bit of an effort to make sense of the stuff. Sure, yeah, like Ninja Turtles, what the fuck is the ooze? You know, like, don't just say It's a secret. It's a secret. That is bullshit. Secret ooze. Like, all right, well, let us know what the secret is. (laughs) All right, I don't like Ninja Turtles anymore. <laughs> Other questions? A uh, question over there. Hi, I have a. My name's Rob. I have a question. Um, every time we see like a picture of what the Milky Way is supposed to look like, we usually see it. Okay, we're about here, and it's a spiral. Now we can look at other galaxies and realize that they're the spirals. How can we actually determine where we are specifically on that map, and that the Milky Way is a spiral if we're in the middle of it? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, the, the Milky Way is our galaxy. It has about 100 Actually, I'll billion... I'll take this one. <laughs> Shouldn't have presumed. You do give a good de- definition of parallax, I have to say. Okay. So, you know. All right, great. I'm oh, sorry. The, uh, uh, so there's 100 billion stars. They're in a disk shape, and they're orbiting under each other's mutual gravitational pull. And we're out near the edge. And like you say, like, how do you know? You don't have a spaceship outside from 100,000 light years away taking a picture of us. But what you do have is you can measure distances to stars and, and other things, including these clusters of stars that orbit the Milky Way. So you can see where these clusters of stars are outside the disk. And they are not centered around us. They're sh- shifted out 
And this was in the 1910s that people first did this, a long time ago. People realized there's a disk, we're at the side of it. And so we can actually have a very good image not only of where we are in the Milky Way, but we can look at where stars are forming and where neutron stars are and so forth. We can actually trace out the spiral arms in our Milky Way. So we know not only that we're in a big old galaxy, but it looks like one of these spiral galaxies. Cool. Uh, another question. Sorry to make you run around. <laughs> but uh, yeah, right over there. Like, one of us should be doing this rather than letting the pregnant woman run around the room <laughs> with. <laughs> so I'm always curious with practicing a theoretic theoretical scientists, whether you take into consideration epistemology or something like Kuhn's structures of scientific revolution when you're, are you worried about the condition of your own paradigm or does that not even play into And before you answer this question, can you please let us know what those words meant? <laughs> I can. Yeah, yeah uh, the, when you do science for a living, 99% of the scientists and the science they're doing is completely uninterested and uninformed about philosophy. They do not know, in fact, it's, it's just like, you know, Ted Williams, to make a baseball analogy, once made fun of Ty Cobb, the greatest hitter of all time. He said, you know, he's the best hitter, but if you ask him how to hit a baseball and you followed his instructions, you would never hit a baseball. And the same thing, if you ask a physicist what makes good science, how science is done, how theories change, they will give you completely nonsensical answers. Studies of the history and the sociology and the philosophy of science are separate than doing science. So in the actual practice of science, you're not worried about epistemology, which is the study of knowledge and how we get knowledge, paradigms, which are sort of the background assumptions we have in mind when we think about one scientific theory over another. But these things appear. They're sort of like emergent phenomena. We have individual scientists trying to understand their experiments and their theories, and the collective progress of the whole field gives rise to these revolutions that change one paradigm in for another one. So are you optimistic about the future of science as far as society's acceptance of it, and uh, that good science is being done more than it used to, and we're heading in a good direction? Have you watched the Republican debates recently? <laughs> Uh, you know, there are, there are dark nights of the scientific soul mm. when you... But overall, I am optimistic. I do think that um, there's, yeah, there's... When people... When you ask people their opinions about different issues, uh, people are not rational. People mm -hmm. do not judge the evidence on the basis of, you know, pure objective thought and come to conclusions. We are bundles of biases and, and impulses that are sort of political and social and economic and whatever. You know, most countries in the world, the right-wing parties are completely buying into the fact that we're making the climate warmer. It's only the United States that this has been chosen as something where scientific consensus needs to be, you know, fought against. Um, I and think in we fact, still hear both sides of the argument. There's, <laughs> there's a well. well that brings apart our other sponsor, Exxon Mobil. <laughs> there was a great graph that just that just came out. They uh, did a survey of people's scientific beliefs, and they also asked what political party they were a, a member of. And one of the things they asked was, you know, do you think that human beings are making the climate warmer? And if you're a Democrat. The more science you know, the more convinced you are that human beings are causing global warming. If you're a Republican, the more science you know, the more you're convinced human beings are not responsible for global warming. Which means oh, 
that, yeah, which means that you're using your scientific knowledge to better buttress your incorrect belief. <laughs> and that is always possible. You know, I, I'm optimistic, but I'm not sanguine. We can ruin it all. We can mm. mess things up because we are not always, we're, human beings are certainly not very good at planning for futures longer than the typical lifespan of a human being. Uh, there was even, like when it comes to knowledge, there was a study that we read about on our show a couple of years ago when it was about vaccines and the misinformation around that. And it showed that the more facts you give someone who is anti-vaccine to try and convince them of the real information, the more hardened their wrong opinion becomes. That's right. Uh, again, people are not rational. There's something that has been labeled the backfire effect. If a person holds an opinion and you show them some data, some incontrovertible result that says your opinion is wrong, afterward they believe their wrong opinion more firmly than ever before. And that's a little depressing, but it's also not the whole story, right? I mean, you can't actually, when you get into epistemology and how people get, gather knowledge, it's not a matter of, you know, a minute at a time or a day at a time. Sometimes, you know, people do change their minds. They do get better at understanding things, but it might take sort of a lot of burbling beneath the surface that you don't notice before people go, you know what, I was just full of crap and I got to change my mind. So it's, it's not like we'll do one thing and everything will get better. It is a never-ending battle to make things a little bit better every day. Cool. Uh, question in the middle of the room there. Hi, this might be a dumb question, but earlier when you were talking about the universe is expanding and or the acceler accelerating, mm -hmm. is it possible for the universe to accelerate or to expand faster than the speed of light so that no light is observable and the universe basically just falls into complete darkness? Well, yes and no is the uh, answer to that question. <laughs> the way the universe expands, you cannot attach a speed to it. Because if you think about the universe expanding, what that means is that space itself is growing. So if you have some galaxy that is moving away from you with a certain velocity, a galaxy much further away from you is moving away from you at a much higher velocity. All the galaxies have their own velocities, and the further away they are, the faster they're moving away. So if you get far enough away, are there galaxies that are moving away from us faster than the speed of light? Yes, there are. There's no violation with any known laws of physics with respect to that. What, what relativity says is that two things cannot pass by each other faster than the speed of light. It says nothing about the expansion of space pushing things apart. So in fact, be exactly because the universe is accelerating, not only are objects getting further away, but they're getting fainter and redder. They're redshifting away. They're a little bit embarrassed to be in the same universe as us. <laughs> And eventually they will fade away and disappear. So even if stars burn forever, which they won't, uh, we'll eventually, we would eventually stop being able to see them because the universe is just emptying out all around us. Cool. Sorry. Um, before we get to the ones at the front, there, was, there were a couple of people at the very back of the room who I want to get to because people at the back of the room get ignored. And also that's where the, you know, the naughty kids who fight you hang out. That's where the other podcasters are just sitting talking about how we're doing. <laughs> Hey, how's it going? What's your question? Hi, thank you. Um, I was surprised by your comments on global warming. Uh, I was curious what your uh, feelings were about recently the scientists who promote uh, global warming theories asking the United States attorney to use the RICO Act to criminally prosecute scientists who publish or uh, have alternate views of global warming. Uh, I know in my own um, uh, low-level science that I uh, have in my profession. I know my test results are always open to further testing and always open to scrutiny. So why would global warming scientists 
want to criminally prosecute scientists who disagree with them. I think uh, before you can even uh, argue whether humans would contribute to global warming, there would have to, there's not even agreement about the degree of warming on the planet or, or um, the degree right. of which so the planet's warming. Who's, if, if this were Wikipedia, this would be a citation needed kind of moment because I don't think that uh, we're criminalizing anybody who disagrees with us. 99 point something percent of published studies on what is happening to the climate says that it's getting warmer. We're well past the point where there's sort of an interesting controversy about whether or not anthropogenic global warming is happening. You can talk about how much it's happening, and there's certainly uncertainties about predicting the future, but it's definitely happening. Um, question at the front. I can just sort of repeat what it is you said. Oh, hang on, I can come around here. <laughs> well, there's a mic right here. I just go up there. Yeah, yeah. An extra microphone. <laughs> Welcome back, Ken. Can I keep, can I keep this? <laughs> can I bring, this is what you were worried about, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> so I think the one kind of question that, that blows my mind is, is, is kind of the I don't why. like how comfortable you got immediately. <laughs> I have to, I'm like, whoa, we're setting in here for a while. I got a couple... <laughs> I got a couple things. <laughs> I gotta say, like, because everyone else just had the handheld mic. Yeah, yeah, You've yeah. got one of our stands, and it's yeah, quite, yeah. it's quite weighty. It feels yeah, kind of yeah. good to have it in your hand. It's like a, uh, all right, sorry, a solid piece of gear. Sorry, though. Go ahead. It's nice. It's nice. Um, why does anything exist? Why was there this group of ordered whatever that exploded and is now causing us to spiral slowly towards death? Like, why, <laughs> why does anything exist? Why not? If you actually, if you, there's a wonderful internet resource called the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, and it's a, it's actually put together by professional philosophers, and they have great, you know, highly cite referenced, um, footnoted articles about all the big questions in philosophy, and they they say, you know, why is there something rather than nothing? And the first answer is, why not? Uh, that might be the right answer. You know, we, we have this idea that things happen for reasons, that there are causes and reasons that populate our world around us, but we live in the world. We're little parts of the world. You know, there's a reason why there's water in the bottle because people wanted it because people like to drink water and so forth. But then you apply that kind of reasoning to the universe. Why is there a universe rather than no universe? And all of that context is missing. If you keep asking why questions, if you play the role of the five-year-old who says, you know, why is the sky blue? All right, because of the scattering of light off of the Rayleigh scattering. You know, well, why is quantum mechanics true, et cetera? You eventually get to the point, well, that's how the universe is. That's, those are the laws of physics. Those are the laws of nature. That's as far as we can get. And eventually, we'll always stop there. You, know, you, have, you have to stop somewhere. And you can either stop with the universe, or you can go to something beyond the universe. You can be uh, supernatural or non-physical or non-material or whatever. But then you're going to stop there. So as far as I'm concerned as a scientist, as far as the data tell me, I'm very happy to stopping with the universe and saying, well, the universe just is, and we discover it. We don't ask why. While always keeping open to the fact that when we discover something new, that lets us ask why tomorrow. But as for right now, I think that you know the universe exists, and I'm thankful for it. Cool. Uh, oh, another question on the front, front row. Do you want to get comfortable with this mic? <laughs> yeah, just come up. Yeah. Mm -mm. It's good, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> great. Yeah. Don't get too into it. Um, hi, my name is Gage. Uh, I'm 21, and I'm just now getting into science. 
Um, and I realized that all the science that has been delivered to me in an interesting way has been delivered through the art of storytelling. So my question for all of you is, um, how do you make science inter interesting while telling the story? Zoo Does books. that make sense? <laughs> Zoo books. <laughs> all right, thank you so much for yeah, your time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I do love zoo books, so. I, I don't know, I think this, this does speak to, and I, I'm, I'm about to put what we do down for a second, because I, I think, I, like, I did a math degree, uh, Andy was an engineer, Brooks did biomedical, like, so we all did some level of undergraduate science, but don't anymore, and I still have an interest in popular science, and I still like other sort of science writing and uh, books, but the stuff that Sean does when he's not writing the books that we can read is really difficult, like, there's a lot of work involved, and that's the point that I, and I think most people in this room, I know we've probably got a couple of professional scientists dotted around, but there's definitely a point where, like, science in a popular level is, oh, this is interesting and kind of cool, and there's a fun story behind it, and then you get down to really doing science for real, and then there's, oh, there's a lot of equations. <laughs> Yeah, there's I a lot like, of pages of working stuff out. Yeah, I feel like in, in history, like the scientists we know about the most were good at science, but also very good at communicating what they found, which is there's a lot of people who can just figure it out, but then can be like, I don't know how to tell you why it works. So, yeah, I think you know, doing professional science is, is one thing, but the matching up with storytelling, I think, is the most natural thing in the world. I mean, what's the difference between a collection of true statements and a story, right? Well, one, one way you might talk about the difference is that a story has some narrative pull, right? Like you want to find out what happens next. And I think that a lot of the time when we talk about science, we give it to you as a set of facts. It's, it's like we try to tell a mystery story by saying, it was the butler. <laughs> no one's going to buy that book, right? But actual science, the way it's done is like, I don't understand what is going on. Why is the universe accelerating? That's a puzzle. That is a mystery. I would like to find out the answer. I'm going to propose ideas. And I'm going to test them. And I'm going to keep asking people questions. And I'm going to collect more data. I'm going to find out the answer. And it will be revealed at the end of the book. So isn't science kind of like often like, I've got a pretty good hunch it's the butler. <laughs> and I'm going to get a lot of my friends to help me work out whether it was. Science is like it could be the butler, it could be Miss Scarlet, it could be Colonel Mustard, and I'm going to collect data and look for clues, and I'm going to figure out which one did it. Maybe it was even a dude from Guess Who. Who the fuck knows? <laughs> Just keep, our, keep our, all the possibilities open. Um, but the, I think that that is partly a problem when it comes to popular... When it comes to the public's understanding of science, there is definitely... There are, I think, people like yourself who are decent, like, do a good job of sitting in both camps. Oh, hey, lights, is someone leaning against the switch, or is that a sign for us? <laughs> but there are, there are people who are good at sitting in both camps and are good at, like, telling the story of stuff, but I think a lot of scientists are quite bad at communicating. It's getting even brighter. Like, the listeners at home won't know what's happening right now, but uh, lights are changing. Um, and I think that's part, a lot of the problem that when it comes to things that have fake uh, controversy, like like global warming or vaccines or evolution, where the scientists are often pretty bad at knowing what the public needs, whereas the people who are arguing against it are very good at pushing emotional buttons. Right. I mean, well, like you say, to actually do the science, there's a lot of equations, a lot of computers, a lot of collecting data in laboratories and doing experiments. 
And guess what? You have to be trained to do that for years and years and years. And therefore, most of the time, the people who are good at that don't get trained in communication or outreach, much less public relations or, or something like that. So and in, in, in some sense, that's okay. There are scientists who I know and love dearly who I don't want talking to the public. <laughs> Bless their hearts. But they wouldn't do any good. And that's okay. We need an ecosystem. We need science communicators. We need podcasts. We need writers. We need people out there on TV. We need Stephen Hawking and Neil deGrasse Tyson. And we need Ed Witten. And, you know, we need a whole bunch of different people doing different things. And that's what we have. We don't have it as well as we could. You know, you go to England, for example. In the U.K., there's a much more vibrant uh, science-in-the-public-eye kind of uh, Culture that I think we would it would be great if we re- reproduced here. Yeah, but, but then you got the right be English. Who wants to? <laughs> Fuck that. <laughs> I'm here for a reason. <laughs> You're also here for a reason. <laughs> uh, sorry, sorry. Go ahead though. It, it, so in England, it's just uh, well, the whole like Royal Geographic Society shit was cool, right? I don't know. I like that. <laughs> what? I'm just reading a book about how, like, in England, they just had like all these rich dudes. They're like, all right, let's go, uh, let's go see what's in Africa, you know? And I don't know. It, <laughs> I'm into it, that shit. It goes Ex- exploration. To, it goes back to the you know, the sort of political social issues that we have here in the United States. For whatever reason, there are certain kinds of science that are that become lightning rods. They become associated with certain points of view, and part of it is, you know, like oh, you went to a liberal East Coast university. I don't want to listen to you, right? Like, there's a defensiveness that some people in the United States have that is a certain stance one can take that says, don't, I don't want to listen to all that sciencey stuff. Whereas in other parts of the world, they get the coolness and the excitement and the fun of science, and partly that's because they've had better science communicators. And so I think that it's, you know, it's very, very doable. We haven't completely done it yet here in the U.S. Someone has had to put the word fucking in front of science, and then now it's, like, everywhere, right? Yeah. I fucking love science. Like that's, yeah. And they tried putting the word fucking at, like, different parts of the sentence, and that was the best version. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have time for maybe two more questions, if we have anybody else who wants. I know there was another one right at the very back of the room. There's someone keenly putting up. Um, Earlier you were talking about, um, and my understanding of astrophysics is extremely limited, so forgive me if I fumble, but you were talking about the universe expanding and why there can be no consciousness. Uh, And then you got cut off by funny, so I I wanted to hear more. (laughs) I wanted to hear more about that, if you don't mind. (laughs) Oh, and also, Matt, will you please say kitty litter? You want me to say kitty litter? Yeah. Uh, so sexy. <laughs> Keep it up. You could have this child-sized medium fucking sweater on your floor later. To be fair, the dryers in my apartment building were hotter than they said they were. <laughs> how, do, how do I follow up with that? It's, it's difficult to talk about the heat death of the universe. Uh, uh, well, yeah, so... You don't follow you're... up. You just country some of that shit. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Never mind. This is a bit I used to do on here. It doesn't work. Fuck it. 
we'll fix it I'll, in post. I'll, 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 figure, I'll figure out a way to cut you off some, sometime later. Uh, okay, go ahead. I apologize. It is, you know, we, when we discovered back in the 19th century that entropy was increasing and the universe is winding down, people started worrying about the heat death of the universe. You know, would, would just sort of run out of a bump. The universe is kind of like a little wind-up toy that started all wound up and has been puttering along ever since and will eventually run out of steam. And so when there's literally no stuff left in the universe and it's as messy and high entropy as it can get, then you will not have conscious creatures lurking around. Conscious creatures like you and me thrive on being way out of equilibrium. Like we, we take in energy from the universe and we turn it up and we give it back in a much messier form. If all the energy we can get is as messy as it can already be, then we can't survive anymore. So there won't be any people left a Google years from now in the future. But that's not sort of, you know, rebalance your stock portfolio kind of information. It's sort of bigger picture. And we should point out as well, you mean Google the large number, not the company. I do. I mean, 10 to the 100 years from now, there'll be nothing left in our little part of the universe, as far as we know. Not even Bing. Do we have time for one, one final one question? Hang on, we've got to you before. Is there an... Country summer. <laughs> when we used to do this podcast, anytime these guys got boring, I would just play this song. <laughs> <laughs> it's the worst song ever. Um, sure was cold and miserable. <laughs> I haven't heard this song in three years. I fucking... You, can, you know the words to every country song. Uh, drinking beer in a boat. That's it. <laughs> uh, time for one final question from someone. Do we still have the mic out there? There's one behind you there. Hi, I'm Brittany. Hey, Brittany. Hello, Brittany. Um, good to see you guys on stage again. I have just kind of a fun question because we've been talking about lots of theories and people believing crazy stuff, especially with all the debates. What is the craziest theory that you have heard someone legitimately try to argue for example i have a friend who's a little eccentric and he claims that smoking cannot kill you and he really fights it so you know pop tarts cure cancer like have you heard anything in your research that obviously is not scientific and then you guys get emails and stuff like that all the time (laughs) pop tarts might cause cancer i'm gonna guess that sean i'm gonna guess you get quite a few eccentric things but your job your specific category of science has 90% of the buzzwords that maniacs come out with. That's why I like, chose it, yes. You've, that got, is correct. you've got quantum, power, <laughs> yes, vibration, universe, yeah, energy, dimension, quarks, right. Uh, and it is one of the challenges in being a theoretical physicist uh, is that if you know, if you listed some of the theories that people do very, very seriously propose and then listed some of the crackpot things I get in postcards every day at the office, you would not be able to tell the difference unless you were very highly trained. So the most weird but yet potentially plausible theory that I know about is something called the simulation hypothesis. Anyone heard of the simulation hypothesis? Is it the matrix? Yes, it is exactly the matrix. It is basically, you know, someone pointed out if if civilization lasts for a long time and we get really, really good at building computers, there's no reason why we couldn't in the future simulate beings, consciousnesses, and we could have many, many more of them than we have actual people. And then you say, well, and that's already happened. And we're in the simulation because some better civilization than us has already done it. I don't 
think it's right, but there are people who absolutely take this serious. I'm a sim. <laughs> like somebody's up there like, now Brooks drinks more beer. <laughs> now, he's going to drink a little bit more beer now. <laughs> this is just uh, you now he's going to drink some more beer, and then he's going to go into public. There we go. <laughs> uh, my favorite interesting theory that I once had pitched at me, it was a late night at a party, and it was someone who believed in chemtrails, which is not that unusual a woo theory, which is that the government what has... What does Sean say about chemtrails? I'm interested <laughs> in chemtrails. But, um, but I, I, don't know if, I don't know if you agree or not with, our, with the friend who was very high at the party who was telling us the best way to defend yourself against chemtrails is to always breathe out more than you breathe in. <laughs> so... <laughs> so if you guys want to work on that breathing technique, you will deflate over time, but... It, <laughs> Is that entropy? Is that what that is? Sean, you probably have similar, like, your um, physicists, like, you, is like, kind of, I bet, like, people come up to us as comedians and are like, I got some stuff you should talk about. <laughs> I bet there's people that come up to you and like, I know things, like. <laughs> Here's what you scientists should be doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, that happens all the time. Like, literally an hour before this podcast, I just was guilted into responding to someone on Twitter. It was like, well, what if before the Big Bang it was all dark matter and neutrinos? What about that? I bet you never thought of that. Like, <laughs> I know you're like, I, yeah, you I, got me. I didn't, I didn't, I'm not very good at the, the combination of Twitter and science and politeness is hard to get all three <laughs> in at the same time. And I'm like, so I try to convey the idea you need a bit more math than that to be taken seriously. Um, <laughs> so, but in 140 characters. <laughs> okay, fine. Here we go. Uh, we we have to we have to wrap things up. But um, before we do, can we please have a huge thank you to everyone who works at this event, all of the staff, uh, both of the hotel and the amazing hardworking staff of the LA Podfest, and everyone at Audible. Yeah. Um, and and a massive massive thanks to our guest uh, Sean Carroll. Please follow him on Twitter. Buy his books. And at, now missing Patton Oswalt. Yeah, at Sean M. Carroll. Yeah, at Sean M. Carroll and at Patton Oswalt. You can follow us at Probably Science. People who are here in the room right now will be out there if you want to come up and say hi. Uh, we also have Probably Science t-shirts and also my comedy CD if you want to buy that and buy listen to it. me doing stand-up. Uh, uh, I have yeah. a special on Comedy Central tonight. Watch Is that. It tonight? Yeah, it's tonight. Oh, Holy crap, listen to Brooks Wheelan. Brooks Wheelan special. Uh, and at Brooks Wheelan, at Matt Kirshen, at Andy T. Wood, at Jesse Case. Go and listen to Jesse versus Cancer as well. It is incredible. Uh, you can email us, probablyscience.gmail.com. You can tweet us at probablyscience. Please subscribe if you're not already subscribing. Tune in next week. But one more time, thank you so, so much. Thanks, Dr. Sean Carroll, Pat Oswald, and everyone at PodFest. We'll see you outside. Thank you very much. Thanks, Take care. Bye. Guys.